0: Let's pray. Father, thank you again for this chance to study together as we finish the first angel's message. Bless us with wisdom, discernment, and clarity, we pray. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and springs of water. This is a direct quote from the Sabbath commandment, if you didn't know that. So, the Sabbath is actually in the first angel's message, which Again, when you ask an Adventist what the first angel's message is, they completely miss the gospel and they completely miss the Sabbath, and we just focus on the judgment. Fear God and give glory to Him for the hour of His judgment has come. Which is ironic because that's kind of the picture of Adventism that's given to the world. They think we're a bunch of legalists and just talk about the law and you know respecting God and stuff. Well, there, there's some truth to that that we're going to have to eat, right? There's some ways where they're just throwing shade for the sake of throwing shade, but there also is a role that we play in that assumption, right? That we need to take responsibility for ourselves. So, um, this is quoting the Sabbath commandment, which implies that we are given a call to lead the world, not only to respond to the everlasting gospel by fearing God and giving glory to Him, but we're also to call them to worship Him on His holy Sabbath and to rest in Christ's accomplished work. OK, so let's look at the why behind Sabbath in Genesis, chapter one, verses three to five, it says, then God said, let there be light. And what happened? There was light. God spoke and it was so. You're reading Jones right now. Right. The, the creative power in the word of God. Right. I'm starting to read some of that. So and God saw the light and it was good. And God divided the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness. He called night. So The evening and the morning were the first day. So throughout creation week, there's a theme here. God speaks, and it is so. Let there be a firmament. What happened? There's a firmament. Let there be fish of the sea. What happened? Fish of the sea. But when we get to Genesis chapter 2 and verse 7, the narrative reads differently. Okay, and this is what it says. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being, or as the King James says, a living soul. Notice it does not read, and God spoke, and Adam was so. His means of creating is different. And when you notice things like this, there's a theme, 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 theme. And there's a change in the theme, there's a reason. Pay attention to that. Don't just gloss over it. We, we blow through so many lessons in Scripture because we're not thinking about what we're reading and asking questions about what we read. Well, why is it that God didn't speak and Adam showed up? I don't know. What's implied by the way that he created Adam? That's a good question. Does that make sense? The very way in which God creates man in contrast to everything else implies intimacy, care, and value directed towards the one that he has created. He stops everything he's doing. He kneels on the ground and forms and fashions him together. He sculpts a work of art, and then he breathes the breath of life into his nostrils. I don't know about you, but when someone's face is that close to my face, that implies there better be an intimate relationship here or I'm, I'm freaking out inside. Anybody else, <laughs> right? So it implies intimacy and care and value directed towards the one that he's creating. So the way in which God creates man implies something about the value that God places on him. Amen. Do you see that? Okay. So it's in this context, a context, yes. Either there better be an intimate relationship or they're doing CPR. Or they're saving your life, right? Yeah, Yeah, we'll give you that one. Okay. So it's in this context, a context of intimacy and value that the Sabbath was given to man. So what sets the stage for Sabbath is a projection of God's love and value and intimacy and appreciation for man. Do you see that? We need to have that context to better appreciate and understand the Sabbath. I was teaching at a young adult um, summer camp uh, for teenagers, doing something kind of like CORE, taking three weeks to just focus on a relationship with Jesus, seeing Jesus at the heart of every teaching. So I've been involved in this for a few years, and we were doing a presentation on the Sabbath, and this girl read from the New Living Translation, um, I had never heard this verse in this way before, and I loved it. I said, what is that? What translation is that? I'm using it from now on on this presentation. So here it is. Mark 2, 27. Then Jesus said to them, the Sabbath was made to meet the needs of people and not people to meet the requirements of the Sabbath. Amen. So it was it was designed to meet our needs. It wasn't iPad parenting. Here, just take this and go away and leave me alone. I'm busy right now. It's not what God was doing. It was something that was designed to meet our needs, not just something to keep us busy. Okay. So Sigve Tonstad has this amazing book. I should have brought it. Do I even have it anymore? I don't think I do. Um, When I moved from Illinois, I didn't bring all my books. I meant to go back and never did, and who knows what's happened to them, so I lost some of my favorite books. Um, Anyway, it's a yellow book with like a blue planet on it, and it's called The Lost Meaning of the Seventh Day. This book is lights out. Now, it's a theological book, so it's, it's nerdier stuff, but this guy uses such poetic, beautiful language that um, even lay folks can generally hang. But he says, "...by the act of hallowing the seventh day, God drives the stake of divine presence into the soil of human time." What's he saying here? It says that God drives the stake of divine presence into the soil of human time. What's what's he saying there? Okay. It's a marker. What else? Creating connection. Creating connection. In very simple terms, God is inserting himself into human time. God is making his presence available to us in our space in the way in which we do time. I don't know how God does time. We'll figure it out later. Uh, if you want to read a bunch of nerdy books about that, you can do your best. But I think he'll laugh at us in the millennium and say, that's cute. Anyway, here's what it was really like. You know, like we're... <laughs> We're groping at the wind a lot of times with some of our assumptions about His divinity and eternality. But um, anyway, so by the act of hallowing the seventh day, God drives the stake of divine presence into the soil of human time. So in a very real sense, God is bringing heaven to earth on the Sabbath, okay? And Jesus says this in John chapter 17 and verse 3, that this is eternal life, that they may know you and the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent right? And that means that um, we don't have to wait until heaven to begin to enjoy the benefits of eternal life. That begins right now, right? Because eternal life is knowing God personally and intimately and Jesus Christ whom He sent, and you don't have to wait to experience that until later. You can experience that right now, okay? So again, by the act of hallowing the seventh day, God drives the stake of divine presence into the soil of human time. He's inserting Himself into human time. He's making Himself available in the space of human time. Tonstad continues. The reason why he refrains from any further activity on the seventh day is that he's found the object of his love and has no need for any further works. Ooh. Who do you think that is? Us. The reason why he stops what he's doing is because he found what he was looking for and what he was looking for was you. And so he had no need of any further works. I'm good, found what I'm looking for. Do you keep building something that's done? Do you keep looking for something that you wanted? No, because you found it. So how does that make you feel about God? When you hear something like this, what are the immediate emotions in your heart and mind and your thoughts, when you hear about God's thoughts towards you like that? I'm good. I'm good, yeah. (laughs) I'm not good. Everything I need. You get what I mean? Yeah, I got what I need. Yeah. Um, I don't know, for me it's like I've been like even though I've been getting to like know the Sabbath differently, you know, over the years, like it's I'm still not not there. You know, I'm still not seeing it as this like as what is being described about God. So. so it's it's like a conviction but in like a Yeah good way. Yeah. But I mean like just on a on a surface level though. Like when you hear someone say nice things about you, it makes you feel good inside. It makes you feel special and treasured and valued. Yeah, but what if God's saying these types of things about you? How do you feel about that? How does that make you feel on the inside? At peace, valued? It should do that, right? This is what you're supposed to feel like every seven days. That's the point, right? The seventh day signifies what is most essential to know about God. God ceases from working in order to enjoy the company of the person that God has created. Suggesting that the seventh day speaks as much about the value of human beings to God as of God's valuation of human life. So what lies in the foreground of the seventh day's first mention in the Bible is God's gift and not human obligation. So the first entrance of the Sabbath for humanity and the first conversation about that is not... You need to do this or else, right? The Sabbath is not introduced in Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 through 11. It's introduced at creation in a context of God's value and appreciation of man. Are you seeing that? Which is super, super important. Again, the Sabbath was not made to meet the needs of people. Uh, It was, sorry, the Sabbath was made to meet the needs of people and not people to meet the requirements of the Sabbath. So it's not introduced in Exodus 20 and God telling us what to do. The Sabbath commandment in Exodus 20, ironically, is to remember the Sabbath day. What Sabbath day? The one that looks like what we just said, that communicates our value and is meant to meet our needs. That's what God's saying in Exodus 20. Remember that this communicates your value, that this is meant to meet your needs. Because they had forgotten that in Egypt. We've talked about that already, right? So to remember the sabbath is to remember that i love you that i desire to have time with you that i desire your company this is what god's saying not hey y'all forgot what day to show up and you're wrong get it right is this day instead that's what most adventists think remember the sabbath day means that's not what god means right there's much more to it than that tonstad continues it is as if we hear god speaking i am ceasing on the seventh day Not only that you may acknowledge and love me, but in order to make it known that I recognize and love you. I'm stopping to make it clear to you that I recognize and love you. Because does God need physical rest? Was he exhausted after a hard week's work? No. So the whole reason for God's ceasing, the word Sabbath means to cease, by the way, not rest. And God is ceasing from what he's doing, not resting from what he's doing. And there's a reason for it. He wanted special time with someone. And so he's wanting to give us the same gift, to cease all the nonsense that we're engaging in all throughout the course of the week, the rat race of life, And to appreciate what's available to us in a relationship with Him. That's the big issue behind the Sabbath. That's the main why behind it. And again, how does that make you feel to hear that? That God thinks this highly of you. How does that make you feel? Desired? Yeah. And loved? This is literally what you're supposed to feel like every seven days. That was God's will for your life. Not, get your ironing done quick because you're grounded for 24 hours. <laughs> no, 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 stop, stop, stop doing your homework. Why? Because I said so. So what am I supposed to do? You're supposed to not do. <laughs> right? If, if we're continually living a negation format of the Sabbath, we've missed the entire process and the entire point. And most of us, unfortunately, are bad witnesses to our non-Sabbath keeping friends. Hey, we're going to the movies on Friday night. You want to come? Oh, I can't go. Oh, I don't do that, right? So we're, we're giving negative reasons for a positive blessing. Do, do you see what goes on here? I can't do that. My church doesn't let me do that. I've heard people say that. Just so ridiculous. Um, you don't have elders at your house guarding the front door saying, no, nah, no, no, that's not Sabbath worthy. Get back in. Like, you make choices on Sabbath. There are people at Southern that go eat Olive Garden every Sabbath after church. They called it Sabbath Garden, right? So there's people who can do whatever they want on Sabbath. The church doesn't control what people do. Not everybody does that, by the way, but you know, I've heard friends tell stories of this. So um, that's, that's, I'm just saying that if our communication or if our apologetic for Sabbath is negative in nature, maybe that's why the world views the Sabbath in a negative light and that we're just a bunch of legalists. Because we sound like legalists. I can't, I don't, instead of something better, right? Now I've got other plans. I, you know, I enjoy this time with my family. If we communicated in a positive light what our decision is, instead of what we're not doing, right, we're, we're celebrating what we are doing and who we get to spend that time with, okay? especially when you have an understanding that this is what's available to you for sure, right? Sabbath can be a total snore fest if you don't understand what's available to you, right? Well, just sleep then because it's long, you know? I remember when I first kept Sabbath, I was like, what do I do? I "I guess I'll sleep for a little bit. I mean, I guess I have to watch sermons or maybe read a book or something like, because we don't understand that there's many ways to commune with God, to fellowship with Him, to receive the benefits. We'll talk about some of it here, but yeah, it's true. So the entire purpose of the Sabbath is to give you a weekly reminder of this, that your life matters, that you have significance in this world, that you're the object of a divine love and unending love. This is what we're entering into and reminding ourselves of. And this precious gift is available to every human being. Even after the fall, we have access to this level of fellowship with God. What a gift. Yeah, it's a beautiful gift. And this is one of the reasons why I'm not a naturalist. Can I rant here for just a second? I haven't made slides. so I kind of really want to do this. So I am not some convenient biological mistake. I'm not a fluke of nature, the product of many fortunate circumstances for a few, many unfortunate circumstances for many with lots of death, deprivation, destruction, disease that eventually leads to me having a life that doesn't matter at the end of the day, and I'll just return to fertilizer on the ground and no one will care. Who wants to sign up for a life like that? Nobody, right? So there's nothing appealing about this. Every person at the very core of their being wants to be fully known and fully loved. We all crave that. We want our life to matter, and atheists and naturalists want a life that matters and to be loved. Atheism is not livable, which also means that there should be no atheist activists because no life matters in your worldview. You can't have both. You can't claim the significance of somebody's life and then deny the significance of anybody's life because we're all mistakes. You can't have both. And I'm not down on standing up for oppressed people groups. I think we should. My point is you can't have both with that type of a worldview. You don't even have an objective moral standard to hold people to because there isn't one. Who's to say what's right and what's wrong? Some people eat their neighbors, some people bless their neighbors. Who's to say what's wrong if there is no real source of morality, right? So you can't, you can't have both. Anyway, so the Sabbath comes along in the midst of this. And as a reminder, that tells you that your life does have significance. You do matter. You are important. You are loved. You are handcrafted by a God of love. There is no one like you in this world. You're the only you available to God and how you live your life matters. Only you can do what you do for the glory of God. This is what the Sabbath teaches us. And you get the slides for this, by the way, so you can, you can take pictures if you want to, but I'll, I'll give you the slides. All 436 of them. Uh, and that's, that's without the covenants if we do that this week. So weekly, we are reminded of this. Why? Because we're so prone to forget it, aren't we? How easily are we distracted and disappointed and discouraged? All it takes is opening your phone pushing the pink app and staring at pictures of everybody else's life. And immediately our life loses significance. It's all it takes. And there's the an of the brethren, who tells you that you don't matter, that you came from monkeys. And when it's all said and done, no one cares and it's all a waste. So get yours, do you, because that's all that there is. Like this is this is this is the, what we have in this world. You can either have a life that matters and is important, or you have the opposite, right? So now we can go to Exodus chapter 20. We've got an open book test. Turn there. Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 through 11. I'm sure you've heard this text a time or two in your life. Mm -hmm. Probably wouldn't be here if you didn't. Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 through 11. Grab and go. Who's got it? Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days shalt thou labor and do all they work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. In it thou shalt not do any work, thou nor your son, nor your daughter, your manservant, or your maidservant, nor your cattle, nor your stranger that is within thy gates. Uh, for in six days the Lord made heaven and earth the sea, and all that in them is, and rest of the seventh day, and work for the Lord. blessed the seventh day, and hallowed it. All right. So, you can only answer from the text... Why is it that God gave us the Sabbath and you can't answer these questions because you've heard the sermon before. So you've been disqualified. I'm so sorry. You've been given the monastic vow of silence for these questions. Sure thing. Why is it that God gave us the Sabbath? According to this verse, you can only use what the verse says. Day, Lord, for in six days, the Lord made. So it's a memorial of creation. I'm at a real estate kind of, but I'm a disciple of David Asherick. We'll just do what he does. All right, okay. <laughs> So Sabbath is a memorial of creation, according to the verse, right? So we are to keep the Sabbath as a memorial of the fact that we did not create ourselves. That's one of the reasons. We're going to go through three of them. That's one of the reasons why we keep Sabbath. It's a memorial of the fact that we did not create ourselves. So it's not just a memorial of creation at large. It's also a memorial of your creation, to take time to understand and remind yourself that someone wants me to be here. That's why they made me to reflect upon the fact that someone valued you enough to bring you into existence, to create you. And they didn't just create you, you know, like the blind watchmaker, right? And set you up and leave you. They created you for a purpose that you're actually on earth for a good reason. And there's a contribution that only you can make. Yeah? This is part of what God's giving us as the Sabbath. It's a memorial of this. It's also an opportunity to partake of the grandeur and beauty of what God has done. You're in a beautiful location. Take advantage of it. Appreciate and enjoy the color change, right? Appreciate and enjoy the cool, fresh, fresh, crisp air until your lungs freeze. Um, Ellen White says this, The poet and the naturalist have many things to say about nature, but it's the Christian who enjoys the beauty of the earth with the highest appreciation because he recognizes his father's handiwork and and perceives his love in flower, shrub, and tree. No one can fully appreciate the significance of hill and vale, river, and sea who does not look upon them as an expression of God's love to man. So again, you can't really have atheistic activists, and you can't really have atheistic naturalists, because you can't fully appreciate what exists in this world unless you appreciate who made it and why they made it. Does that make sense? L. White makes a very interesting statement that there would be no infidels if we continued keeping the Sabbath. Yes? And was a time life when I was going through a weird phase where I was like, how can you be sure of anything you believe? Um, and this was when god started to direct my eyes to nature and creation and i could see i started to see hmm. that there has to be it's true the exact same god in nature is the exact same god in bible amen yeah, I to see that. amen she has another quote on this this is a beautiful one she says on the loveliness of the things of nature you may learn more of the wisdom of god than the schoolmen know on the lily's petals god has written a message just for you written in language that your heart can read only as it unlearns the lessons of distrust and selfishness and corroding care. Our busy lives deprive us of the ability to see the lessons of God in nature. We have to unlearn those lessons of distrust and selfishness and corroding care to find these gems in nature. Why has He given you the singing birds and the gentle blossoms, but from the overflowing love of a father's heart that would brighten and gladden your path of light? All that was needed for existence would have been yours without the flowers and birds, but God was not content to provide what would suffice for mere existence. You could have lived in a monochrome world with no cute little creatures and so forth, but God created these beautiful things. Here's why he's filled the earth and air and sky with glimpses of beauty to tell you of his loving thoughts for you. The beauty of all created things is but a gleam from the shining of his glory. If he has lavished such infinite skill upon the things of nature for your happiness and joy, can you doubt that he will give you every needed blessing? Mm -hmm. So he didn't give us these things to ensure that we can live. He gave them to us to remind us that we are loved. The Sabbath and the gift of the Sabbath is a memorial of creation and the gifts that God longs to give us. Through creation, okay? So the Sabbath should be a day that we partake of the beauty of what God has made and worship Him as the Creator. But it's also a day to worship Him for being your Creator. Again, thank you, God, for creating me with a specific purpose. Thank you, God, that I'm not here by mistake. Do you have plans for my life? He made me. I'm not my own. I should slow down, pump the brakes, and take care of the body that God has given me. He has loaned it to me. To not be so filled with the cares of this world that I forget the fact that I'm special and the object of God's divine love. To not be so busy trying to prove myself and my worth to the world around me and to receive and rest in the worth that I already have in Christ. Some of us are working until our hands bleed to prove to mom, to dad, to our grandparents, to our gym coach in high school who said we were losers, and even to God himself that we're worth something. And what God is saying here is, "Hey, hey, 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 knock that off you're already worth something. Rest in that. Stop working so hard to prove to everyone else and to yourself and to me that you're worth something. I already think you're worth something. That's why I made you. Rest in that. And that that amazing God is longing for time with me. So Sabbath is a memorial of the fact that we didn't create ourselves. Here's the second memorial. Go to Deuteronomy 5. Deuteronomy 5, beginning of verse 12 through verse 15. This is the second reading of the law. Deuteronomy 5, verses 12 to 15. Who's got it? Remember that. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt, and that the Lord your God brought you out of out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God command you to observe the Sabbath day. All right, again, open book test. Why? And you can only use the verse to answer it. Why is it that God gave us the Sabbath according to this verse? He delivered us right i'm sure I had some of that you guys are you you are serial mumblers We're also wearing masks. i know but you can you can talk loudly through a mask and then we can hear it you have such good things to say but i feel like an old man and i can't hear you my hearing's not that bad you just don't talk loud i promise <laughs> um yeah so it's so it's a memorial of redemption right uh it's a memorial of redemption that we can't save ourselves Now, is this an important thing for us to be communicating as Seventh-day Adventist Christians in a world that is hostile towards the belief of the Sabbath? Well, why aren't we talking about it then? We're so jacked up on proving what day is right that we forgot to communicate why this matters in the first place and to communicate what we are not saying about the Sabbath. We are not saying Sabbath observance saves people. It's the exact opposite. We only keep Sabbath because we are saved. It's a memorial of our redemption, of that accomplished work of Christ. Paul actually alludes to the Egyptian bondage. that It's a type of the bondage uh, that we wrestle with, with sin. So Deuteronomy's charge is to keep the Sabbath because we can't redeem or save ourselves. We can't create ourselves and we can't redeem ourselves. Sabbath rest is entering into true and complete rest in Christ and His accomplished work. We're spending a day to acknowledge that, to enjoy that, and to reflect upon that. And we would do well to reflect upon these things and not just attend church. Did you know that it's possible to show up to Sabbath and not actually do Sabbath as God intended? It is. Man, it's a statement I want to make here, but I don't have have time. Nathan Renner had this amazing sermon when we were at Arise called, Truly Human, speaking of Deuteronomy 5. How God says to not even have your servants work, that they may rest as well as you. Because the Sabbath communicates the dignity of man. And when you make people work for you on Sabbath, you're treating them worse than God intended that you treat livestock. And you're depriving them of their humanity and their dignity. Now, you cannot control the fact that someone's going to show up and work at Red Robin on Sabbath. But you can control the fact that they work for you. You understanding? We're robbing them of that. But the Jewish worldview, there's even people have this today. They will pay people to turn off their light switches on Sabbath. Now, think about this. What you're basically saying is their life doesn't matter because they're not a Jew. So I will let them sin on my behalf. And I have sin in quotes here for turning on a light switch because they don't really matter anyway. But I won't do it because I'm, you know, trying to keep the law and stuff. It's like the Pharisees trying to kill Jesus, but keeping Sabbath by, you know, like not letting his body stay up there for too long. Like they won't go meet in the temple with Herod because, you know, I don't want to be defiled on the Sabbath, but I'm literally murdering a guy as we speak, right? It's just this strange disconnect that God never intended to ever exist. So, Sabbath, so anyway, it's, it's, it's important that the, the purpose of Sabbath is to give dignity and worth and value to people. That's why God doesn't want them to work for us. So, Sabbath is a day to reflect upon the fact that we didn't create ourselves, we can't save ourselves, and sharing that beautiful truth with people to loose their burdens and to bring rest to their souls. So, I'm going to go to John chapter 5 and verse 18. Talking about Nathan a lot, but um, Nathan was. Uh, new Adventist at this stage, David Asher gets converted. And then the first person he reaches is his best friend, Nathan Renner. They both were kind of into the punk rock scene and stuff. So Nathan's super excited about the Adventist message. And there's this guy who's walking from one side of the United States to the other side of the United States to kind of bring awareness to a cause. Some people do that. You know, they ride a bike cross country and raise money for whatever. So this guy's walking across the United States with a cross. So he's got a cross and he's got two wheels at the base of it and he's walking across America to raise awareness of the gospel or something, right? And so Nathan's like a new Adventist and super stoked about the message. He's like, oh, that's so cool. That's great. Hey, what do you think about the Sabbath? And the guy's like, the Sabbath? The Bible says Jesus broke the Sabbath. He's like, no way, man. The Bible would never say that. He says, turn to John 5.18. So read John 5.18. Therefore, the Jews sought the Lord to kill them because not only had he broke, not, but he cut the uh, Sabbath. Because he not only had broken the Sabbath, but he said that also that God was his Father, making himself equal with God. All right. So at first, my students, when I taught in an academy, they had cooked up this whole plan. And don't do this, you're you're mature adults. Um, but they cooked up this idea that the first thing I said that kind of they were just going to stand up and say heresy and walk out of the classroom, <laughs> as like just to give me a hard time. I posted this on Facebook and my boss. Immediately responded. How rude of those students! I was like, all right, I probably shouldn't have posted this. So I deleted it. But anyway, I started the class on the Sabbath by saying, "Hey, did you guys know that the Bible says that Jesus broke the Sabbath?" And was I teed them up perfectly? They're like, Jessica jumps up, heresy, and they all walk out of the classroom. I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa! So, um, I'm not being a heretic. The text says this, but then it leads to a question. Okay it leads to a question. Why does the Bible phrase it this way? Well, the word that's used here for break is the word luo, which actually means to loose or to untie. It can also mean break, but here's the interesting thing. There's not a single time in the New Testament where the word luo is translated break, except for John chapter 5 and verse 18. And it begs the question, did Jesus really break the Sabbath? I mean, this should be an easy question. Does the Lord have the Sabbath? No, okay. So he didn't break the Sabbath. So is it possible that the translators mistranslated this verse? And what it's really being said is that they want to kill Jesus for loosing and untying the Sabbath? Well, what does that mean? Yeah, they had absolutely murdered the significance of the Sabbath with their 39 Sabbath laws. You can't spit on the ground. You're plowing the soil. They can't put the finishing stroke on anything, right? They completely lost sight of it. There's a section in Desire of Ages that I literally copy and pasted into a Word document and just called it Sabbath killers. I don't remember where it's from. Uh, I'd have to find it, but that's what happened. And can we do that? Can we bind the Sabbath in ways that Jesus didn't intend? Certainly, yes. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. That's a good question, isn't it? He broke their perception. So Jesus was coming to loose the Sabbath from the restraints that they had put on it. That's the point. They had misunderstood what Sabbath was about. And the question again is: Can we potentially do that with the best of intentions? Certainly. You remember the illustration we had yesterday of the law around the law to keep anybody from breaking it, right? Can we do that sometimes? and in turn lose the entire point. You kind of see like these continual facepalm moments with Jesus and the Pharisees and Sadducees, like you guys just don't get it. Like they say these things and you can just kind of sense Jesus was like, (sighs) look, the purpose of this was your disciples don't wash their hands before they eat. Like what you do is ridiculous. You put a little bit of water in the palm of your hand and do this and you do this. That's not cleaning your hands. Like, and Gentiles don't have cooties anyway. Anyway, so anyway. Alright, third one. Ezekiel chapter 20, verse 12. We gotta we gotta move. Ezekiel 20 and verse 12. Who got it? Ezekiel chapter 20 and verse 12. Moreover, also I gave them my Sabbaths to be a sign between me and them, that they might know that I am the Lord that sanctified them. Alright, so it's a memorial creation, redemption. And what else is it a memorial of, according to that verse? It's a memorial of God's creative power to transform the life. Sabbath is a sign that God is the one who's promised to transform us and set us free from the burden of sin. And we already covered this, Ezekiel 36. We already read through that, so I'm gonna have to skip that for time's sake. That God will cleanse us from our idols, remove the heart of stone from our flesh, give us a heart of flesh, put His Spirit within us, and cause us to walk in His statutes, and we will keep His judgments and do them. Right? God is promising to enable His people to do this. Okay? So, Sabbath is also a reminder for us to stop getting so anxious over whether I'll be good enough or be able to change. God is promising to empower us to overcome through the power of His Spirit, and we should reflect upon that and rest in that. Are you seeing the gospel of righteousness by faith in the Sabbath? Tell the world, please. So Sabbathing is our act of protest against the lies of Satan and his ideology that man can save himself and that God is selfish. Sabbathing is our act of protest to these total heresies that Satan's trying to bring before the people of God, right? Right? Now, nothing, like, nothing about this sounds like legalism, does it? Right? We don't Sabbath to be saved. We Sabbath to rest in the fact that we are saved and are being transformed by His grace. And write that down. We don't Sabbath to be saved. We Sabbath because we're already saved and are resting in the fact that, uh, or we have to rest in the fact that we are saved and are being transformed by His grace. Hello. It's on the slides. I butchered it when I tried it from memory, so I just went back to reading the slide. for Sabbath, thing? Yes. That's right. This is perfect to tell the people who like are telling, oh, that, that that you that you're not saved if you don't quote. Right. That's right. Now we're not looking to win arguments, but we are looking to clarify what the Sabbath is about, right? So we don't want to get in that whole Bible tennis boxing match frame of mind, like, ooh, now I've got a better argument. We want to caution against that type of approach, but certainly as a way of interacting with people, like, yeah, there's like literally nothing about this is righteousness by works. This is totally righteousness by faith. We just haven't done a good job of communicating it. That's the problem. Have we been right about the day? One thousand percent. Have we made technically clear arguments on that? Yes. But are we communicating the why behind the Sabbath? Not as much unless the why is because God said so. And I don't really think that's the best reason to give it. Although it's true, like there's also really good reasons why he gave it, right? Everlasting Covenant, E.J. Wagner, this is so good. He says, the keeping of the Sabbath is not a duty to be discharged in order to obtain the favor of God, but the keeping of the faith by which righteousness is accounted to us. He continues, there is no room for the objection that we ought not to keep the seventh day Sabbath because we are not saved by works For the Sabbath is not a work, it is a rest, God's rest. He that has entered into his rest, he also has ceased from his own works as God did from his. Hebrews 4.10 True Sabbath keeping is not justification by works and is utterly disconnected from any idea of such a thing. It is, on the contrary, justification by faith. It is the absolute rest that comes from perfect faith in the power of God to create a new man and to keep the soul from falling into sin. That'll preach. The Everlasting Covenant, E.J. Wagner. That's what EVCO means. The Everlasting Covenant by E.J. Wagner. That's in this book, and the book I quoted from Jones earlier are both in that recommended reading list that I gave you guys from Saturday night about wandering in the wilderness. Do you have something? Yeah. Yeah, it's true, right? creation, redemption, sanctification, like the whole, the whole shebang. It's, it's woven throughout the whole thing. But you know, for many of us, busyness is a Sabbath killer, right? And Satan loves this, especially if you go to multicultural churches, white people can't wait to get out of church. Are you kidding me? Like some of us won't even go to potluck. We don't go to Sabbath school, won't even go to potluck, come in, see the sermon and bail before the appeal song, right? It's, but you go to other cultures and other churches and like, it's a whole day celebration, right? There's, There's, People come for the mission story, then they go to Sabbath school, then they go to church, then they have lunch together, then they have AY, right? Then they have Vespers, they have outreach and then Vespers. And so some of those cultures can potentially struggle with the why of Sabbath if the intention is just to do stuff, but never take time to reflect upon the real reason for this day, Right? So it's about finding that proper balance, as Bogdan was mentioning earlier, finding that proper balance of being of service, of worshiping together, learning together, communing together, serving together, but make sure that you're scheduling time to actually appreciate what this whole day is about and reflecting upon that. Not just treating it like every other day of the week, but instead of being a workaholic at work, now I'm a Sabbathaholic at church. Right? Like You're, you're finding a way to ensure that you're... Because I struggle with this at times. Right, if, especially when I travel and preach, they're, I mean they're milking it. You know, I'll preach Friday night. Sometimes I'll do q and A Q&A for Sabbath School. Then I preach for church, Then I preach in the afternoon, and then in the evening. And when that happens, it's kind of hard to take some time to just appreciate what's available to me and what the Sabbath is meant to be a memorial of. Right, I'm preaching this message to lots of people, and I still struggle to do this in my own experience. It can be hard, right, to, to literally like I just need to put placards up all over my room to remind myself, hey, it's Sabbath. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, don't work. No, 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 no. It's Sabbath, which means it's a memorial that you didn't create yourself. Remind God how thankful you are for that, that you can't save yourself. Remind God how thankful you are for that and that you can't transform yourself. Remind God how thankful you are for that. Take some time to marinate on that. Think about it. Reflect upon it. Yeah. Yes. So and again, everybody needs to make an individual decision based upon conscience. people have different thresholds from what they've grown up with. Some people may find that to be a very restful, enjoyable, refreshing experience for them. They love it because their mind is on nothing like work. They're just enjoying Sabbathing with the people around them. So I'm not trying to make blanket statements. I'm just saying that for some of us, we can kind of struggle with really knowing how to Sabbath because we're so used to go, go, go during the week. And so we just translate our go to spiritual things on Sabbath, but we never find rest for our souls. Does that make sense? That's the caution. You need to wrestle with God about that individually. That's not my thing. I'm not here to control your life, but we've tried to build in time for you guys to do that. You guys had nearly 10 hours on Fridays to do whatever you want, study, read, pray, whatever. Five hours at least on Sabbath, and probably a good three hours on Sunday mornings. We give you time, right, to connect, to dig, to study, but it's just a matter of what you do with it. If you just sleep it all away, then you didn't really get that chance to recharge spiritually. You just recharged your body physically. Does that make sense? So actually plan out that time to be the most useful and regenerative, and you will find your core experiences easier when you use that time you're given wisely. Yeah, it'll help. You can read while you do laundry right so there's, there's things you can kind of do that even with a little task you have to do. Neil you know you know ministers are not actually paid for their time on Sabbath, they're paid for the work they do during the week. So it's a volunteer time for them in a in a, in a technical sense um, but the thing is, like, your members are busy during the week. It's one of the only times you can check in with them. So it's difficult. Um, we all have to make our individual decisions. You know, I think most ministers are trying to prioritize communion with God in some form or fashion in a devotional life. But, you know, a lot of their deep study happens during the week to prepare for the message. They're not going to do that Sabbath morning, you know. There are times when I'm finishing a message Sabbath morning and I wake up early and you know, hash it out. But in a general sense, yeah, it's difficult. Each person needs to make a decision based upon their personal conscience and God, right, at the end of the day. Notice I didn't tell you what to do and what not to do on Sabbath. That's not my intention. If you know what the why is behind Sabbath, you can now plug in the things you're thinking about into that equation. Can I ride horses? Can I kick a soccer ball? Like, I'm not even going to answer those questions. Like, you ask yourself the question, how does that fit into this equation of what Sabbathing is meant to be? And if that works for you and your conscience and won't lead somebody else astray, then do it, right? For me to walk around a grassy yard and just hit a golf ball and just enjoy being outside, I wouldn't have an issue with that because I'm not being competitive, but I refuse to do it because I don't want to lead people astray who are hyper competitive and think I'm playing sports on Sabbath, right? So there are certain decisions that I choose not to make for the sake of not leading other people astray. If I'm backpacking in the middle of nowhere and I want to go put my feet in water, I'm going to put my feet in water. I'm going to go in water. Like, it's, it's just... I don't know it's one of those things that we we have unfortunately kind of made this way more complicated than i think it needs to be god doesn't give us a list of what to do and what not to do he gives us principles and if you understand the why behind sabbath and what it's intended for and then you have a question can i do this ask yourself the question why do i want to know do i want to do what i want to do or do i want to honor god on that day and if what you would like to do can honor god what a blessing but if you're just wanting to do what you want to do and you want God to sign off on it, that's a whole other story. Does that make sense? And each person needs to weigh out their own conscience because, again, if certain people struggle with being hyper-competitive, throwing a frisbee on Sabbath is going to be hard for them. Hey, let's, let's run routes. Let's do it. Like, no, let's just not. Let's just relax. <laughs> right? So some people are wired in different ways. You need to know yourself, and you and God work that out. Okay? So I don't, I don't want this big, long to-do list. But we as humans, are we want a recipe, man. Just tell me what to do and I'll be okay. And God's not really a recipe giver a lot of the time. He gives us principles and we can make decisions. Some things He's very clear about. Other things, He gives us room to make our own decision based upon our conscience. And Sabbath is one of those. We have some principles to keep from having people work for you, to not do your own work, right? And I think what He's asking of us is to focus on these three things. And sharing these three things with others are certainly lawful to do good on the Sabbath in that sense. So, like, some people go to the opposite extreme. Like, oh, people work too hard on Sabbath, so, like, I don't do any of that stuff. Like, no, you can do outreach on Sabbath, um, but we give you guys kind of freedom. So we had students last year that they give Bible studies on Sabbath as part of their Bible work practicum. They schedule time that time, and if they made that decision, they made the decision, it's totally fine. Yeah, it's... it's we don't fully think through that, right? And and so people, will, we're actually going to go when we have the Spirit of Prophecy class in the spring. We'll walk through some Ellen White quotes and how to kind of interpret and work through what the principles are behind some of those statements. Um, because like you could take statements from Ellen White about owning a bicycle, um, if you just want to you know compete with one another, you know, and throw quotes at each other. Like yeah, you can play lawn darts with Spirit of Prophecy quotes, but. Is that really the best way to do it, right? So yeah, it's tricky. So I'm not saying yay, nay, whatever. People need to weigh their own conscience. It would be very difficult to take a group of high school kids to a body of water and not have them engage in ways that are going to be not the best Sabbath observance. So for schools to say, hey, don't do that isn't necessarily because there aren't people in that group who could do it in a Sabbath sense, but because there's many people who couldn't, and instead of setting them up to stumble, they just don't do it, right? So running a school, by the way, is different than just someone in their individual conscience because you're trying to equip the, the majority to succeed. So we have policies here that you may not have at home, and that's fine. But we're running a school on the same campus as minors, and we're trying to keep things running in a way that's the most efficient and helpful. Does that make sense? So you have to kind of understand the principle behind the policy, not just the policy. Because policies can change, but principles won't, right? Because the world around you can change. When Ellen White was talking about bicycles, it cost thousands of dollars, today's money, right? And it it wasn't even like a practical functional item. It had a massive tire on one side and a little tire on the other side. So it wasn't like a commuting vehicle that someone could use in downtown Manhattan, right? It was something that was just for show to prove that you had status. So that's a different scenario than, uh, you know, so we can keep that principle, but the policy may change. Does that make sense? Because the times have changed, you can get a bike for twenty bucks at a pawn shop, and you can get to work that way, right? So, someone to say you can't have that bike because Ellen White said you can't have that bike, like. Context. Can I even reason with this person? Probably not. You know, you just eh, say, <laughs> eh, you know, <laughs> capture your losses. All right, any questions on this? Because it's eleven fifty. Yeah, I know. What? That was the first angel's message. We did it. Um. And that's the little I know. I don't really know. There's tons more, I'm sure, uh, with people smarter than me. But that's just some good foundational principles on the first angel's message. If we don't have questions or comments, let's pray. You can go to lunch and then get ready for work. God, thank you for blessing us with helping to understand the why behind Sabbath, uh, what it is that we're calling people to worship you uh, on and for in the first angel's message. I pray that these messages would be lodged deep within our hearts and that you would bless us and empower us to share them in a way that is impactful, helpful, and winsome. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. This media was brought to you by AudioVerse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about AudioVerse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse dot org